I just want to put out a little content warning before we begin today's episode. Sparklesid got a little filthy during today's episode, so if you're offended by foul language, please skip this episode until next week. If the idea still turns you on, darling, keep calm and carry on. Enjoy! There's no business like show business. But what about those factory workers? Dust off your playbill collection. Today I'm tackling the Great White Way. Musical theater, that is. Talking all things musical from Broadway and beyond is R. Marshall, a Chicago-based writer, singer, actor, activist, storyteller, and co-pastor of Sanctuary, a virtual spiritual community committed to justice and intersectionality. Additionally, they are the co-owner of Six Points Letterpress, a letterpress printing company, and the lifestyle editor of MTM Chicago. You may recognize them as one of the many regulars at Musical Mondays at Sidetrack in Chicago, Illinois, as the lovable Idina Menzel in Let It Go from Frozen. On today's episode, we dive into our favorite musicals, the Broadway divas we wouldn't mind spending time with on a desert island, and so much more. Now come along and listen to that lullaby of Broadway, darlings. Come along with me. Welcome to the show, R. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing? Doing well. Are you excited to talk about musicals as much as I am? Um, always. I'm always excited to talk about musicals. It is my first love and passion, and it is who I. It's it, in my soul. Mm-hmm. Well, tell us a little bit more about yourself for those who don't know who you are uh, and how you got into uh, your love of musicals and singing, acting, and all the good stuff. All that jazz. <laughs> yeah, I I mean, I I've, I was a performer for a long time. I auditioned. I remember in junior high, I auditioned for every single play that they had, and I only got cast in the final one. And I think largely it's because I auditioned so much, and they were like, fine, just give them a line. It's going to be fine. Like, it's work like whatever and then I just sort of carried over I remember and then in like in junior high I was in band for us for a year and then I had to choose either band or theater and I was like oh theater I mean come on and then I was in theater in high school did community theater when I was in high school um in the next town over my my actual town didn't have community theater it was so small I had to go to the next town over to do community theater and then I was at my senior year of high school, I actually did a national tour of Godspell through a church, through a church in, in from Mesquite, Texas, which I'm from Texas, just for reference. I'm from a small town in Texas, went to school at San Houston State University, um, where I planned to study musical theater, but I auditioned five times and never got into the program. But I did sort of make my own. I took dancing classes and voice lessons. But while there studying theater, I was able to act, direct, um, do playwriting, do scenic lighting, do scenic design, light design, costume design, sound design. So I was able to like get a well-rounded education of theater. Um, and then I went on to get multiple other degrees that have nothing to do with theater and currently don't work in anything with theater, except that I'm writing some stuff right now, plays, musicals, TV show, things like that, that I'm hoping to, to get going on. But that's a little bit about me. Do you remember the um, first musical or show that you actually saw or were involved with? I remember growing up. So what's interesting is my parents have never really liked musicals, but I do remember growing up, the one musical my mom liked was Grease. And so I saw that for the first time when I was in grade school at some point in time, just on the TV, it was on and my mom watched it. And I just sort of was in awe with like the singing and dancing and like the way it is. And so I started like 
we had a DVD recorder in our in our house and a, and a DVR. So I would record musicals on DVR and then record them on the DVD so I can watch them later, which is illegal. Don't do that. I didn't um, just for reference. So like I, I think Greece is sort of where it started, and then I just started finding my own way and like listening to soundtracks and musicals and things like that. And in high school, Rent came out on like in the big screen, and it was one of the first other one of the first like new age musicals I think I saw if if, if you want to say that. But yeah, I think Greece is sort of how it started, and then it it developed into this uh, deeply held passion. Mm-hmm. I think Greece is one of those movies slash musicals that most people get introduced to for the first time. Like I remember watching it on TV. Mm-hmm. It was on a lot of movie channels and like I guess syndication, whatever you want to call it. So that's how I got introduced to it. My sister loved it, and I kind of just fell, fell in love because she was the older one. She kind of just kind of. You know, she was the older sibling to, you know, control the younger one who, <laughs> who just kind of had to roll with it, you know. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's definitely a classic that I still watch a lot. Um, I can, I have most of it memorized and I'm actually starting to like a little bit like uh, watch a little bit more Grease too. You know, I'm surprised I know more music than I used to, but I can only usually make it only past like the opening number. Now I can finally make it to like most of it. <laughs> progress yay let's go clap for progress yeah i mean greece 2 definitely was like a movie that they made and like greece is definitely one of those like gateway musicals like that and fans of the opera and cats are like and like for people our age even sometimes like wicked is one of those as well where like it's the first musical you see or the first musical you hear about and it's very interesting phantom was actually the first musical i saw live as like a real mm-hmm. production like on stage and in that production, everything was great except the um, like acting and singing. But the costumes, lights, set, everything was great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was, when when I asked you that question about what your fa- the first musical you remember is, I don't think I can answer that myself because I I just like remember being such an outcast that I like loved to escape the movies and the and the theater. But I do remember one of my earliest theater experiences was going to the legendary outdoor uh, venue, the Muni in St. Louis, which where I grew up in Forest Park and I loved going there. You mm-hmm. know, you could, it was an outdoor theater and it got to the point where it was really legendary. Like they, they post news stories from on playbill.com, Broadway world, you know, those kind of websites from the Muni because they're like, like the oldest outdoor like theater venue. Like, and they used to be, it used to be where a lot of people, you know, people in the 60s used to tour and go like Sunny and Cher did the variety show that on that stage, like random stuff like that, you know, and it and it's kind of fun. But I, uh, the last one I remember seeing on that stage was Little Shop of Horrors, um, not horrors, horrors. Um, <laughs> That's a different uh, musical. But, yes, definitely a different musical. Um, shout out to Dolly Parton in the best little whorehouse. I love that show. Um, but or that movie, movie rather. But um, but yeah, those are those are like early experiences that I that I just like remember growing up like in a musical family a little bit, but not to the point where we were like performers. We were just you know we just enjoyed listening to music. You know, I grew up with with a lot of the older music my parents listened to, and they kind of introduced me to the shows that they grew up with, and and I just kind of like got drawn into like the drama crowd in high school because I didn't really have a place to sit in in the cafeteria, so like. I like befriended the administrator who stood post between the cafeteria and the drama room because the drama room was empty at that time during my lunch hour. So I would go there with my tray of food and walk into the drama room, just hang out with the other drama kids. It was like the most creative thing to experience and to just have that camaraderie and experience people who felt similar ways that were like, you know, we don't, they didn't fit anywhere in any of the cliques in the lunchroom. So they went, did their own thing, you know? 
and that's how I got involved with you know technical theater and um, yeah. and it's so funny because whenever a musical we would do one musical a year or one or two a year and I would only do the musicals I would never want to do the acting ones <laughs> I would just want to just you know even if I was just like chorus member number two <laughs> right I I was loving it I you know it's an honor just to be cast yeah exactly <laughs> I love it. I also grew up a little bit um, kind of remembering the Tony Awards. I think because just the Tony Awards just felt more lively than like the Oscars or the Emmys because there was a lot of, obviously they had performances and uh, from all the best musicals, you know, the nominees right. for those years. Live, yeah. yeah, it was the only award I remember is just being able to be like, all right, this is best musical. I got to go see this next year in Broadway. And I never actually went to go see my first Broadway show until 2007. And I was probably like, yeah, it was crazy. But um, but it's it's really fun to... Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's really interesting when you actually go to Broadway and you're like, what? This is like fun experience. Have you been Have you been to some Broadway shows? What was your very first Broadway show? Yeah, so I mean, what's interesting is that growing up, like we never had money to like go see shows live. So I could only catch them in like on like TV and, and in syndication on, on cable and stuff like that. I didn't really get into watching Tonys or anything like that until I got into college. And then when I was in college was my first time going to New York. They they took a group of us to New York to like experience theater and Broadway and things like that. And I think the, I think the first show I ended up seeing on Broadway um, was Next to Normal, mm. which is a phenomenal show. I didn't see it with Alice Ripley, so I had to go back mm. again later that week and see it because she wasn't in it that night. And I was like, okay, I'm gonna go back and see it. I can't not see Alice Sorry Ripley. Sorry to cut you off. Don't you hate it whenever you go to a show and you're like really excited to see somebody and then you open the playbill and there's like a little insert that says, the role of blah, blah, blah will be replaced by it. And you're like, God damn it. I wanted to see that person so much. <laughs> and then you just want to like knock over that bo- that announcement board. No, absolutely. I remember um, I went back years later when I was in grad school, I went back to visit a friend of mine who had moved, who had moved there and we sort of had enough to like see one show and we went to we went to the tkts booth to see like what was sort of on sale and things like that and both of us remembered seeing the musical if then which is actually by the same writers of next to normal kid new yorkie right so we both remember seeing that on the tonys but neither of us really had an indication of what it was but we were like sure let's go see it but it, and it had, had like idina mandel and anthony rapp and jen colella and lachance like great cast and it was, but it was after Frozen came out and the Oscars and all that. And we're like, there's no way I didn't even sell in this show, but she was. We were like, oh my God, like she was in it. There wasn't another study. Like, yeah. it, it was like a, a good surprise in that way. Mm-hmm. There's, a, there's this YouTube series called Seth or Death Get Obsessed, which is, which I watch for fun a lot because he just talks to Broadway stars about like certain parts they had and things like that. But Anne Renolfson was the understudy for Julie Andrews in Victor Victoria on Broadway. Mm-hmm. And she tells the story about one night she went on and they were and they were like, ladies and gentlemen, the part of Victor of, of Victor Victoria will be played by Anne Renolfson. And the other just goes, Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> like, so like hear the and also like hear the audience go, oh. Oh. Okay. What a sad moment. <laughs> oh. Right. Right, especially for the performer who's like still gonna go out there and give it their all, but like now they're like, oh well, they're definitely already disappointed. Yeah. Like, Another note is well, the the swing, the the person who has to memorize like five different roles and doesn't know until like maybe like a, an hour right. or so before that they have to go on as whatever those five, like that's talent because you have to not only memorize five sets of li- lines, also remember you know, hey, <laughs> this is not what I, when I say f this, this is when I say oh hello or something. <laughs> I don't know. You know, it's just like I. I feel like when right. I used to learn lines, I used to think like where I was placed in the script. So I was like a visual learner. Like I remember like I could visually like when I was 
reciting lines. I would, I was visually like remembering the, like the type, <laughs> the typeface of the script, you know, the, where it was in the script and like between whose lines. So like, I would like be like reading it in my head. So like, that's why I didn't, I wasn't really good at acting because I think I was too much in my own head. And also I learned it a really weird way. I don't know. It was just me, but um, luckily I only had small roles where I had maybe like less than 10 lines. <laughs> and, that, and that works out. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I would like, I, I memorized mostly like through repetition and saying them and doing them and which I think a lot of people do, but what that would lead to is me actually memorizing everyone's part over the time, over time to like know exactly what's going on when and when the sign comes in. So like <laughs> before I like study theater more like in college and like actually I would like the universe are going, it's this line, and people are like, shut up. I'm like, oh, sorry. Staring, <laughs> like, like, forever. The perils of show business. <laughs> Wiggle Monsters got you down. Need a little pick-me-up for your rainy day? Check out the fabulous items we have in our online shop. We've got collages. We've got custom scratch prints. We'll even take your photo on a Game Boy camera. At Vicarious Media, we have something for the eccentric personality in your family. Shop vicariously at vicariousmedia.com forward slash shop. That's vicariousmedia.com forward slash shop. Well, we came to the table with a few of our favorite musicals. So shall we dive into this, R? Yes, we, we can dive in. How about this? Let's alternate back and forth. I'll have you begin and we'll just kind of compare notes and see if any are on our, on, if any of our musicals match. How about that? And then we get like a confetti streamer. <laughs> no, I think I think that's a good idea. And what I will say is that sometimes my list of like top three or five favorite musicals like changes depending on my mood and things like that. And oftentimes I I like I, I sort of put composers together and like things like that. But in terms of musicals, I think one of my favorite ones is uh, is Next to Normal, which I just fell in love with because I was also a psych major in college and study psychology. So like doing sort of a musical about this and the way they did it, I think was very and magical and elegant and the way they staged it as well to me was just phenomenal and, and and really worked really worked for it and kit and york are just great you know like i said if then are great um they also did freaky friday the musical that disney put on and but next normal sort of is their 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 first um their first musical which i absolutely love mm -hmm. for those who haven't seen next to normal can you uh, briefly describe the plot i mean it's been out long enough that i don't like I don't want to spoil things because there's a there's great moments of like realizing it realizing what's going on, but it's also been out for a decade now. So like you've had time, right? Um, <laughs> but but basically 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 it's about a um a housewife who has who is a manic depressive who's bipolar depressive with delusional episodes, and so she sees so it's about this family mother uh, mother father daughter son the mother um 
see psychiatrists and psychologists to figure out what's going on with her mind because she's seeing, she continues to see her son at age 18, even though he died when he was two. And so her whole life, his whole life, she's been seeing him grow up and become this person. And the daughter's also like affected because of it, because, you know, she was still a bit neglected from like, she's actually still alive and her mother's not the same. And then, um, and that's sort of the, the overall basic plot. There's much more to it. And there's a great sort of twist at the end that I don't fully want to give away, but it's, it's worth, it's worth seeing. And like, and even, you know, the way they write, if you listen to the cast recording of it, it, it gives you a lot of what you need to fully get it. But there's some lines here and there that are, that are um, valuable. But for the most part, if you listen to the cast recording, it is, it's, it's worth it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a really interesting show. I love listening to the music. It, it kind of came out at around the same time as, was that around Spring Awakening? When Spring Awakening first first came out and it was, that might've been a little bit sooner, but around that time where a lot of more, a lot of musicals were adapting rock influences again, kind of like how Rent did. And um, yeah, in, it, in this case, it adds more to the element of the, pushing the storytelling forward rather than, just kind of throwing it in there because it's new to musicals. So I really, I really think that's important. Yeah, no, certainly. And yeah, it was just wonderful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Speaking of Rent, that's actually one of my first favorites. I remember my sister was really into musicals in theater and that's how I got into it. She told me all about like this song called Seasons of Love. And I was like, what is this? And I listened to this and there was this, like female belting in the at near the end I'm like oh my god this is so good and oh my god and then I um I didn't really watch see the musical until many years later but what kicked off my love for it was the movie as you'd mentioned um with the original cast and when I it first came out when I heard that season of love when they put it out as a single I was really excited because I was like oh my gosh but then I was like oh they sound really auto-tuned it's, there's probably nobody left from the original cast and then I looked up who was in it and everyone but like two of them were and I was like what yeah so I was like I have to see this is like close to the original and you know it has everyone's favorites like Anthony Rapp even I did it Idina Menzel who did it oh which by the way side note there's a really interesting uh, mini documentary about making of rent or like around the time when it just was becoming popular and it was on I want to say it was on like entertainment weekly tonight or something one of those like you know hollywood shows yeah and they they show they show idina like like gas not gaslighting like night what what do you call it when you like do a cabaret show after a show she basically did cabaret shows like late at night kind of like how patty lapone did at les mouches for uh during avita so but she like it was so it's so interesting to see her uh her demeanor in that interview because now she's kind of like you know, she knows where she's at. She knows she's above everybody. <laughs> yeah, I mean, she's often nominated. You know what I mean? I mean, it's it is what it is. You know what's also fun is is whenever I'm at a party with like a room full of gays and there's a piano and I play that first chord of Seasons of Love, and I just hear everyone go because <gasps> everyone knows what that like B flat chord is, and I go <laughs> and it <I> was like <sighs> it's, just, it's fantastic. I can also tell like who knows the stage show and who knows the movie more because. In the stage show, there's only two bars of intro, and in the movie, there's four bars of intro. So, like the people in the stage show, yeah. when I play the first two bars, they'll start singing, and then everyone goes, "What?" Like that's early, and I'm like, "No, nope. stage what? version is two bars." <laughs> no, 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 yeah, yeah. That that is a good test. I do. I I did grow up on the movie more, so I'm kind of used to the the arrangement that they did, and I really mm-hmm. do like a lot of the songs versus some of the original music 
musical, but there are moments in the show where I'm like, okay, or in the movie that I think Chris Columbus are very did you know he made he adapted it to the film to a film version of it very yeah. well. You know, changing the, some of the dialogue, you know, to just dialogue. You know, right. but it does it does uh, add some extra element to the fandom too. Yeah, I mean, it, it it was meant to be a musical with dialogue, and just over time, and uh, Jonathan Larson kept just writing melodies to everything, and so it became yeah. this rock opera. Like, so it, yeah. For those who don't know the background story of Rent, uh, so Jonathan Larson wrote the show. Um, he had recently quit working at this diner, <laughs> and he went to start writing the show full time. And I think it was originally he got it to the New York Theater Workshop, and by that time. It had been through many edits. I think it was originally almost more than three hours long, and then it shortened down to two and a half. I think if he uh, and and then shortly before the I think the opening was it on Broadway or off Broadway? Um, it was the day before opening or opening night of Broadway. Yeah, like or of the like preview run. Yeah, yeah, <clears throat> yeah, yeah. He uh, sadly passed away. So they. They 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 went back and forth on what they were what they wanted to do to pay homage to him, especially since it was a summer evening, and it got to the point where apparently they they started it as a sit down concert version of it, and then they, by by the mid you know by the the middle of the show they were like you know screw it we're, let's just do the whole show. So I thought that was really a really, uh, great homage, but I always wonder if Jonathan Larson was alive longer if he edited it more or added more songs. I'm interested to see if he ever would like change it. I think there there's some clunky parts in the show, I'm not going to lie, but I think if he had changed it, I what do you think he would have changed? You know, I, I don't know, it's hard to say. It's hard to say for me. You know, <laughs> some of it's also clunky or not at some point right we as writers like have to go, you know what, just take care of it. And like you write sort of things that like might be clunky because there's no other way around it, but then you have a director who like looks at it and goes this is how you handle that, and that's sort of how it how it progresses. Not that the director did anything um, untoward in the original production by any means, um, or any any others. But you know, I don't I don't know that I, I really don't know that too much would have changed. I think the question I I have more than anything is 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 two things. One, if he was still alive, what else would he have made? Right, like what else would he have have changed and created? Much like mm. much like Lima Miranda has Hamilton now. Like what would be like. Rent was sort of his his homage, but would he would he have something that's even bigger, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then secondly, how different would the movie be if he was around to consult on it rather than his sister? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That would be very interesting. I bet. I bet there would have been a lot of butting heads between Chris Columbus and Jonathan Larson. I think because I think like in the same vein that when Chris Columbus directed those awful, I mean, uh, Harry Potter movies, those first two. <laughs> I don't think he did the first movie very well. I, I think there were a lot of things he wanted to cut that J.K. Rowling was like, no, 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 no. I, I've write, I'm writing these books. It's going to be in a future book that you need to in, it, keep this in here, blah, blah, blah. And he followed suit because he didn't know. He's like, I haven't read, you know, by then when the first movie came out, I think only five oh books had yeah. come out. So there were, you know, no one really knew where the Harry Potter universe was going. But um, I think it would be kind of a similar back and forth. I think like, Jonathan would have been like, all right, we should keep, we need to keep this momentum here. And then Chris would be like, no, 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 no. We need to just take it out entirely. <laughs> but he did, he did his best. Yeah, no, he was, he, he certainly, absolutely. And I think he did a great job with it. And like, I think one of the reasons it sort of became this long rock opera was that Jonathan Larson decided to sit down and like write a song every day. Like he was just committed to writing a song every day, whether it was like for rent or not. And I think just over time, 
a lot of that works into the story, especially as you're telling the story of like eight individuals who like all have lives and they're living through an AIDS epidemic and they're living through um, the, the turn of the second century and they're living through all these things mm-hmm. that like have so much going on. I think it just it developed into into what it what it, the behemoth that it like became. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's 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 crazy. I I would love yeah I would love to see it, but of course sadly he's he's gone. But we have the legacy of Rent. On that note, what is your next favorite? Um, my next favorite, you know, a lot of people are surprised when I say this one, and it is just one of my favorite musicals. But it's Fiddler on the Roof. Okay. Obviously, a very classic musical. Most people know it, but you know my. I've I've always had a love of like examining tradition and culture and especially religion. And my, you know, my master's degree is in religious studies and I'm starting a church and do a lot of writing and thought on like God and religion and theology and things like that. And so I've just always had a love for that. And so I just love the way Fiddler on the Roof takes into question the seriousness of like, the seriousness of tradition, tradition, and then mm-hmm. also like- tradition. <laughs> And then also like brings in the seriousness of like how change happens, both gradual, both um, both gradual internally, and also like forced external change that that can happen over time, right? And so, but I just I I, I love Fiddler on the Roof. I always have. Mm-hmm. Is there a certain connection that you made with it that is the reason why it stands out to you today? Not, I mean, I, I don't know that, that there was anything specific except, you know, sort of those themes in it. I did, I did once do, if I were a rich man for like a chorus show when I was um, in high school, I, I chose it, which to me spoke, spoke a lot to me because I grew up in sort of a lower middle class household and like didn't have a lot of money. And I was like, I mean, if I was rich, like even today, I'm like, I mean, if I was rich, like I could definitely like change the world. But like, I mean, and and that's a good song, but there's also... The the way who is it like Sheldon Harnick and um I figured exactly who it is it's Harnick um hold on I have my computer pulled up I will find it right now so that we don't Please so that do I don't forget to. um Stein and Harnick Stein did the mm. did the book book for it Bach Bach and Harnick Jerry, Jerry Bach did the musical that's right um he did the music but um but the way they sort of like the musical like next to normal and rent certainly have some melodic themes in it that change from time to time but for the most part they're like pretty consistent in the style of music whereas i think Siddler on the roof especially when it came out in like the 60s sort of incorporated some of that style but also like changed things up a little bit from musicals to like pop and like not all the songs are all the same sort of theme melodically which i've i tend to it's sort of like an eclecticism and in the in the theme writing, which of all which I love, I I, I engage in a lot. Mm-hmm. That's a, that's a really I haven't seen that in so long. I I just remember the the song sunrise sunset sunset. It it always pops up on like random uh, musical radio stations that I listen to on Sirius XM and stuff like that. And I still listen to it. I'm like this reminds me of like a Sesame Street segment where I'm just like I learned you know sunrise sunset. <laughs> it's just a really yeah it, and it it's a classic you can't you can't deny that it existed because it's it's in the canon of like the top 100 musicals of all time absolutely absolutely you know um do you know who jim neighbors is the the actor who is has passed away but do you know who jim neighbors was at all Uh, i don't know if i'm familiar so he was an actor 
He played he, he played in a show called Gomer Pyle where he was Gomer Pyle, but like golly, okay. it was a very okay. like it's shown in the sixties and like that. Uh, okay. But I he's know like he has a he has this very barit like baritone operatic singing voice. And so sometimes I will just for fun listen to his albums. Like he has some Christmas Christmas albums, things like that. But he has one where he sings Sunrise Sunset and it's so beautiful with that like deep baritone voice, which I don't have. I have a high tenor voice. And so like anytime I try, I'm like I can't I can't do it. Like, I can sing Golda, but not yeah. by then we're you're mumbling. You're like <laughs> and you have to like oh, you like great. lean back into it and like put your head back and try to like No, but yeah. <laughs> you have to like arch your back a certain way. <laughs> right. Like it's like a am I bottoming am I bottoming or am I singing baritone? You know what I mean? Like, right. <laughs> we'll find out in two seconds. <laughs> <laughs> to say, they're very similar. <laughs> oh my god i do urge you to like google gym neighbors google gym neighbors sunrise sunset and like look it up on youtube it's it's great it's uh, such a beautiful beautiful version um and then one last thing i said Lonely Earth. I, <laughs> one of my favorite lines from um from musicals is um in the uh do i love you and chevy goes do you love me and Golda goes do i what <laughs> <laughs> love what does that mean <laughs> <laughs> like what <laughs> so good i love that i wrote it down for the show notes so you'll see jim uh jim neighbors in sunrise and sunset as well as some links to all where you can buy the the cast albums if not if there is not a movie available so we'll um you will get those in the show notes dear listeners speaking of show notes the next one i will be putting the cast album for is a classic of mine it's one of the, I think, one of the first musicals that did not have an overture in the 1970s. Can you guess that? Can you guess that, R? Or do you have an idea? Oh, God. Like, didn't have, like, an on track in the, in the very beginning of the show? All it had in the beginning was this. Do-do-do-do-do-do. Again. Anyways, a chorus line. <laughs> chorus line, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I love this one so much because it's very... I. Being, you know, a man of the 70s, you know, Sparkle Sid, right. 70s. Sparkle Sid. I think one of the reasons why I love it is because it's one of the first shows that I think ever existed that was workshopped, that didn't, that the concept was there, that got many people involved from the very beginning, rather than, you know, a producer having an idea for a show and then getting those people involved after everything's kind of been developed and they've had a writer and they have a script. This, they had no script. They just went together in mm -hmm. a workshop to a dance studio, all these dancers from TV shows, from Broadway, from all types of walks of life and brought them together to talk about their experiences. Right. That's all the idea is. And the set is just a line. There's mirrors there and there's different um, major storylines. But for the most part, the essence of that is exactly what I described. There's some phenomenal dances in there. We have to give a huge shout out to Donna McKegney for her performance in Music in the Mirror, which I tried on my birthday. I had some friends over and performed for them. <laughs> Part of the show, I tried to recreate that exact choreography and I was fucking exhausted. There was so much choreography in that. I don't think I got it all, <laughs> but the fist was there. <laughs> I mean, Donna McKechnie is just brilliant no matter what. Oh my gosh, yeah. I love what I love actually watching clips from uh, the show she was on, uh, the dance show that she was on in the 60s called Hullabaloo, where she's doing like, you know, like the, the swim and like the the mashed potato and the, 
you know, and, um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> but I, I, it's just so great. And that's also the show where she met Michael Bennett, you know, the one who brought, who created the show and also choreographed it and has done a lot of choreography with, with Donna, especially mm-hmm. I, a lot of my dancing that I do, I think is kind of goes back to some of his very, uh, stereotypical dance moves. I can't even think of any right now, but I'm just thinking like during the montage where they're all, te- you know, all it's like basically like a, an abridged version of all their stories together. And there's like that little like line where they're all like doing like a little like, Ooh, and it's like very 70s. They ring the bell one time. Like, yeah. Eh, you know, it's great. It, it, it's very sort of like staccato dancing. Like most, most, a lot of musical videos is very like legato and like lyrical, but like, especially of course, I know Michael Bennett, it's very like, here, here, hit, boom, change, but like, uh, like, just yeah. like, sort of like drag queens, I was like, cat, 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 like. It's really funny, because like, I just recently, I listened to one, uh, the version where they're like, rehearsing it for the first time, and I I don't know why I never really realized it, but it, they're actually describing what they're dancing. I was like, duh, they're dancing, they're gonna, uh, like, what are these dance, they're not saying, you know, kickball change when they're, you know, pirouetting, you know, I don't know, and I realized this for the, uh, recently, and I was, and I just remembered, if you just know what they're saying, you could actually do the choreography without actually looking at the, any videos, just listen to the cast album, by the way, is the, the record is so beautiful, like, the, that fully, that trickle effect of the full, like, the, the metal foil, on oh, the pictures of oh, all them, oh, god, I, uh, when it was here in Chicago, I saw the revival tour a couple times and it was very bizarre. Like they had just recreated the old show. Like they didn't like update it a little bit, little bit. I mean, they may have changed some references that were kind of outdated, but for the most part, they kept it exactly the same. The costumes were exactly the same, but I loved it. I was, I, that's how, where I fell in love with it for the first time seeing it live because there's some very raw moments in there that. You, even if you don't, oh yeah. Even if you don't relate to any of those people, there's at least one in that show that you relate to. Well, and it's also like the stories in the show that they're telling about their lives and their their times are like they're all their own stories. They may not be telling them themselves, like in in at the ballet, like they're all stories from the cast, but like they're all different people, right? Like and Kelly Bishop, who is in at the ballet, doesn't tell her story, but one of her stories is in at the ballet. So it's like yeah. it's so interesting to like be sort of in that line. And hear your story performed by someone else. Like it's, it is interesting. And and something you said reminded, like made me think. I wonder, I wonder if there's like room to create something that's like another chorus line or a chorus line for a new age. It's like basically the same concept, but like with the rules and regulations we have now. Especially bringing in, I think a lot of like colorblind casting, but like it's really not. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean, yeah, like a lot of issues that that, that face us now. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think one thing is the fact is with the revival, they, they have to keep it in the seventies to kind of show the, like how outdated the ideals were, but for the most part, the essence is still there. They could readapt it in some way, but there's like, there's some iconic lines that I would love them to keep that are very outdated. Like I think the one black guy, he's like, I do this, 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 and I'm black. (laughs) Like we didn't know. (laughs) But I mean, still, it's like, you know, it's very stereotypical, but I think there's a way that they could get out of that and and take it to a new level. Right. You know, the truth is, like, I, I haven't really ever auditioned much for, like, professional theater, per se, because I transitioned in college into psychology and then religious studies and things like that. But even even when I was in, in college, there was still some, like, some of those same rules and regulations that, like, the reason I didn't make it into musical theater as a um, 
as a degree program was because my voice, I sing like a leading, a leading man, but my body type would never get cast as that. And so like, right, right, and, and, you know, I mean, it's sort of, a, it is a compliment to know that like I sing that well, but also like, I could play Shrek. I love Shrek. Like I'd be happy to play him, right? Like that's a leading character, right? But, but, but some of those roles <laughs> do still exist. And I think especially now we're at a time where people are really starting to just dismantle those and care more about, the ability that someone has to to do it, um, which I think is great. Yeah, I think there's a time, I think now is the time actually for representation for people who who look different. <laughs> um, I see it a lot in, in, in like old time show business where they were trying to project what middle America would like, but how did they know? They lived in big cities where there were, a multitude types of different types of people, you know, queer people have been in show business since, you know, since way back when just they weren't out then, you know, and weren't visible. Same goes with like people who are, who are thicker and, you know, large and in charge, you know, they're, they're, they're starting to create a presence on the great white way. Yeah. I and really it's, always, like it's always been interesting that like Broadway has been a vehicle for social change for a long time, but it hasn't ever always adopted those social changes into its own like ethos which is interesting to me have you ever seen the movie version of a chorus line what are your opinions on that do you know truthfully i've i haven't ever watched it through i've actually never seen a chorus line through all the way i've, I've listened to the uh, the cast recording i um i've watched clips here and there of stuff uh, particularly at the ballet which is a song i love which i think is a song everyone loves obviously so it's a song I'd love to do in drag in the original in the original key and octave, but we'll get to that later. But I've never sat down and like watched it all the way through. And I think it's one of those things where like I'm sure I'll enjoy it, but I also have this tendency to want to experience things, especially things that have been around for a long time, watching them with someone first with someone who like thoroughly enjoys it because it like amps up your excitement and things like that. You know what I mean? You're not missing much with the movie. <laughs> um, I mean so <laughs> it, it's a chorus line in the eighties. It throws me off. It throws you off because the orchestration is so different. Like when they get to uh, some of the actual audition pieces, the entire opening is ripped apart and it's like, you know, I don't even know how to describe it. It just has eighties, like, like rhythms. And it, 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 it's not what it, the melody's not even there either. So like, that's also things that are really bad. And then, you know, at the ballet has an entirely different arrangement and it doesn't, add, it doesn't, it doesn't give you the same essence of, you know, nostalgia and reminiscing as it does in the show. So you're not missing much. It is fun to, though. I love watching uh, when, when they do play one, actually that that's the staging on one is really fun. And of course oh. the girl, the end who falls. Yeah. And when we all, vote, you know, on musical Monday and sidetracks, by the way, that's where we met where we met, yeah. uh, where, you know, anyways, um, there's the girl that falls, you know, and we're just like, Woo! you know, you know, we we're always, you know, cheering for the outcast. Cause you know, there's a hundred people, one person's going to fuck up. Come on. Come I mean, on. and I felt like they could, like, you could do several takes, but there's always going to be someone who's like either off or fall. Like, and you just have to sort of choose the best one or like the one where it's least obvious. Unless you know that it's happening, which of course now we do, but like, yeah, that's that's so funny because like I would never have noticed that. I've seen that scene many times, but I if if no one has ever pointed that out to me, I would have never noticed it. And now I watch it just for that alone. I'm like, all right, five minutes and twenty seven seconds, go. 
<laughs> or whatever the the time time it's it's sort of like in first wives club when they sing you don't you don't own me and there's a moment where goldie hans shoes change because her original shoes would get cut in a cobblestone but like i would it's not something i would have noticed if someone didn't go okay pay attention to her shoes and i'm like oh fuck like, now i know <laughs> yeah it's so great i love i love i love i love watching little moments like that in movies for sure what is your third Right, your third mm-hmm. favorite musical. Well, I, I don't think I don't think they're these are in order. I think these are all equally my first favorite. But the third one I'll mention is um, is is sort of a lesser known musical that I was that I wasn't introduced to until college. But I was in it in college, and I fell in love with it. And it's so great. It's called um, Bear, a Pop Opera, which I don't know if you yeah. know about that or not. It's it was never on yeah, Broadway. Yeah, I've heard that. Broadway. Yeah, there's also now apparently a Bear the Musical, which is totally different, and I didn't know that was a thing, but Bear a Pop Opera, it's, in short, it's sort of the story of Romeo and Juliet, um, except two, two gay guys in a Catholic boarding school. And it's, it's, it has great music and uh, an amazing story, and it, it helped me in many ways, like, actually come out to my mom, because there's a song, um, one of the characters, one of the characters' moms, as a character in the show as well. And like they talk on the phone here and there and stuff like that. And there's a, there's a scene where he's trying to on the phone, come out to her as gay and she doesn't let him say it, but obviously she knows what he's trying to say and things like that. And so they cut the phone off and then she sings a song about like, where was the warning? Even though she clearly knows it. she clearly knew and knows, but like, she's like, Oh God, like, what do I do now? Like, mm-hmm. It's very beautiful. I'll have to check that out. Is that, that was, you said that the original was Bear, a pop opera, and then they had a musical version of it? Too. Bear, a pop. Well, th- there's, no, there's a musical called Bear the Musical now, which is something totally different. I don't know what that is. It, I, <laughs> I watch oftentimes YouTube videos that are like musical moments that make my like, blah, 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 like good musical theater moments or whatever, or these videos. And, and one of the compilations was like Bear the Musical. And I was like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> what is that? Like, that's something, that's not it. But yeah. Okay, interesting. I'll have to, I'll have to check that out. If anybody of you know that, definitely uh, comment in the uh, in the blog post on the website. Definitely see. Uh, let us know what you think of it. Any? Did you want to say anything else about that one? Um, I mean, not, I mean, there's not much else. It's beautiful. I would find time to listen to it. I think there's probably versions of it in full on YouTube if you search for them. Not that I've ever watched bootleg musicals on YouTube. But on Apple Music, if you search for Bear Pop Opera, there's a playlist for Act One and Act Two if you ever want to listen to it. And it is truly a pop opera, so like everything is sung and it's in like in a pop style. So if you listen to the cast recording, you'll get the entire show without any sort of. There's like I think there's like a line in the entire show, which is also on the cast recording anyway. So good to know. I have that written down, and dear listeners, you should listen to it right now. I'm going to go listen to it right after this. After we get done recording, I'm like I'm really excited to experience the new show in some way. Speaking of experiencing a new show, um, when I grew up, one of, um, and of course there's a whole entire episode on this, I was introduced to a little pop band called ABBA. Oh. I think you know where I'm going with this after, okay, that's all I had to say. After ABBA, basically, the very first thing that Benny and Bjorn, the two guys did together, was create a musical with Tim Rice called Chess, yes. which started, it started as a concept album with Murray Head, Elaine, ooh, Elaine Page, uh, mm-hmm. Barbara Dixon, uh, all those good people. Uh, Bjorn Skiff, I think, is on it. He's the arbitrator, I think. Anyways, they started as that. And the musical in that show is 
phenomenal. If you've ever heard the original concept album, the lyrics, Tim Rice did an amazing job during Nobody's Side. And they kind of went into the show thinking it was going to become a big, big musical. Like it, it was like kind of right, bef like right before Andrew Lloyd Webber was trying to do like the super high energy, high budget, crazy big production shows that he did like Phantom of the Opera and stuff like that and Cats. And, and I think Chess was trying to do that. Um, before they did an actual show on the stage, they did this thing called the called chess pieces where they basically did mini music videos and the production values are on another level. Like during nobody's side, I love watching this near the end, right after the uh, the bridge, there's a moment where she just is like on this fucking like, like tall stage where, and she's like looking down below these workers and they're just like, Oh, and like doing like, like, like action shots. And she's like, you know, she's like the robot in metropolis and they're, the workers and she's walking in water puddles and oh my gosh it's so obnoxiously crazy and i love it there's that music video for i know him so well yeah yes yeah there's one for that one night in bangkok yeah they did a, i think they did like five or six of the songs it's and there's also there's also a version of parody not not really parody version but it, it's susan boyle and peter k um from comic relief sort of making fun of the production quality of the video and it's phenomenal it's it's great i love it <clears throat> um so chess became like one of those shows where they never quite got right. Like they would put it on, they would put it on stage and then they would rewrite it and rewrite it. I don't think they've ever really finished the show technically to this day. The most complete version that we have is chess in concert, which stars. The Josh Groban, uh, Josh Groban, Idina Menzel, Adam Bethel. Yeah. Just one thing about Idina Menzel. She's in like every musical. So we'll probably mention her at least 10 more times in this episode and it's almost over. So just keep that in mind, dear listeners. She's like, you know, the constant in this. <laughs> but anyways, um, yeah, that's probably the most complete version. There was a version they did in Los Angeles. I think it was going to be a pre-Broadway tryout. Do you know who was who played uh, Elaine Page's character? Um, By any chance, have you heard about this? I I didn't. What what year was it? Um, I want to say it was like 1988 or 89. It's someone that we recognize their voice, but not really know about them on stage. Of course, it's a lady. <laughs> um, Jodie Benson, who was Ariel in The Little Mermaid. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She did. She did an amazing version of Nobody's Side. And the staging to that is really cool. There's a moment where like all the, the floor is like a chessboard and the, it lights up. So and when she every time that it would like like do a uh, at the end would would do a little ding, ding, sting it would like remove some of the pieces and like remove some of the pieces until she was alone and isolated and then it goes dark i'm like oh this is such great staging it's so good and the the music to that is a little bit faster and a little bit more like it has a little bit more of a rhythm to it so it provides like a sense of urgency and i love that about that show yeah but that's just great show i love the music of course i'm a little bit biased because i'm an abba fan but it's one of those shows that kind of kicked off that whole trend of obnoxiously large budgeted musicals and that's what we have to this day <laughs> so i love that yeah no i mean chess is wonderful <clears throat> do you have any honorable mentions plenty plenty one of the ones that um come to mind is especially as you were talking about the um in the course line the um the idea that like it's sort of a concept that became a show is um title of show do you know that one <gasps> That was mine. Oh my I god! I love title of show. We were talking about Freaky Friday, and we had the Disney Channel version of Freaky Friday stars Heidi Blickenstaff, and she plays herself. 
entitled show. The stage version had Heidi Blickenstaff as mom as well. It had a different daughter, but Heidi Blickenstaff was in the original stage version of Freaky Freddy, and she was yeah. in the movie too. Oh, that's yeah. right. A way back to a way back to then is one of my favorite songs. It's it's a song that I'll sing to myself a lot, and I, I'm working on a one person show right now, and that's sort of the last song, which hopefully I can get rights to everything that I want to like put in it. But it's such a such a good musical song. Mm-hmm. For those who don't know about that show, it's a show about two guys writing a musical. So essentially, what the show that we're watching is the show that they're writing. Kind of, it's very it's meta. It's a show about two guys writing a musical about two guys writing a musical. <laughs> so like, there's multiple layers. Like, yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. That's about that expert editing. Oh my gosh, it's so crazy. I there's some there's some great moments in that. Um, I've never I never got to see the show, but. Have you ever watched any of their episodes of the title of show show? It's on YouTube. Yep. I say YouTube's. Uh, My favorite is their, their Christmas special with, with like fake stars. Like if they made it like an old school, like variety show, kind of like the Paul Lind Halloween special, which I dear listeners, if you haven't heard this (laughs) or watched this, the the Paul Lind Hollywood Halloween special, please do. It is bad, but so good (laughs) at the same time. It's just great. There's moments that are don't make sense, like like Paul Lynn hosts a dinner party with Margaret Hamilton and Witchy Poo from HR Puff and stuff, and then and then their performer is Kiss. Um. Okay. Anyways, uh, side note. <laughs> yeah, they recreate this like old. They uh, the title of the show show recreate Christmas show, and they have Cheyenne Jackson on at the time he was starring in Xanadu, and they had this puppet who was like this drunk uncle. <laughs> and he's like super drunk and like he hated everybody and there was a moment where like Cheyenne comes in and he's like wait what is, wait someone didn't know that he was invited to the show and they're like wait Cheyenne what are you doing here and then the puppet comes in to interject and goes yeah get out of here Cheyenne Jackson <laughs> oh it's just so good and Heidi performs Heidi Blickenstaff performs a song and and she does the like the stereotypical thing with like different camera angles she's like looking at the camera in like three different places and like like at every note it's so funny so good i'll have to uh, you know I, i'm gonna put that in the show notes because it's so good Susan blackwell who was the other person in um the other female in title show had a youtube series called side by side by susan blackwell which may still be on i don't know but like she would basically just interview um broadway people and i think there was one where she interviewed sarah Brolis, who of course wrote waitress and started in it for, for a brief time and um, I don't know, one of my favorite moments from that is, um, this is clearly off topic, but it reminded me of Susan Blackwell, but Susan Blackwell's like, do you have any hidden talent? And Sarah goes, I can make a clown horn noise. You need to borrow your nose. And he goes, <laughs> oh my God. So great. I love how... I love how like they got they the two guys when they're writing the show brought in like Heidi because they're like we need a powerhouse vocalist and then we need a comedy queen and they kind of put them together in a way that was like very it just like meshed really well together and then of course the rapport with all four of them together was just and Larry don't forget Larry on the keyboards um he was you know they all had oh, this right. yeah. they had this amazing rapport together that just just added an extra element to the heart and the, the genuity of that show. It's absolutely phenomenal. There's also, as a side note, there's also this show on YouTube. It's a, it's a, it's like a YouTube series is what it is. It's called Audition mm-hmm. Submissions Only, which is sort of about like theater in New York and about these like group of performers who are like auditioning and trying to like do a show and things like that. Yeah. It's, 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 it's pretty good. If you haven't seen that submissions only is on, it's on YouTube. Just Google it. It's, 
It's good. Show notes. <laughs> For me, another honorable mention, um, apart from which was just mentioned, but is basically anything by Stephen Sondheim, particularly my favorite, which is Company. Mm-hmm. Just for reference, I love that musical, and it's anything Sondheim is a must see. But it's hard for me always to choose a Sondheim musical whenever I'm like whenever like have to decide. Yeah. yeah, I can't think of like a. I mean, but Company would be at the top of my list. But like, I couldn't narrow it down. Like, I'm like that one. That one's good. I like Sunday in the Park. Oh, but I like I. Ugh, if you made me cho- choose between the two, no. The revival of Sunday with Jake Gyllenhaal, who's phenomenal vocalist turns out is amazing it's jake Gyllenhaal, and Annalie ashford and just it arguably for me arguably it's better than the original broadway <laughs> but i know that sort of speaks ill against <laughs> Bernadette peters and mandy patigan who are both mm-hmm. wonderful but the revival just uh, was so good heavenly we'll say it's he- it was heavenly i've never mm-hmm. i never saw that revival but i did see uh i got to well the yeah, the show, the original Burden that Peter's version was recorded professionally, and I think they released it on DVD as well. So you can watch that. And that one's the costume design is really cool. There's a moment where she like climbs out of her costume and it just stays there, like standing up. It's amazing. It's so good, and it like opens up for her. Bernadette Peters has one of those voices where I've never, I've never once been like, "Is this Bernadette Peters?" I can't tell. Like you always know it's Bernadette. You always know it's Bernadette. Yeah, like her, like there's no guessing. <laughs> Absolutely. Her her voice is is iconic. And if you don't know who she is, look her up. She's a phenomenal. I do want to put one more on my honorable mention list. Xanadu. I just had to do I had to do it because one, it's mentioned in like every episode of this podcast. So dear listeners, like I it's I, I am a obli- I feel like obliged now to just mention the movie in some regard. But also because I do have to say though, I had mentioned that my first Broadway show was in 2007. Xanadu was my first Broadway show. <laughs> I'm I'm slightly embarrassed to say that, but I'm also like kind of proud because what ended up happening was I became a Xana ho. All right, fine, I said it. Um, <laughs> what ended up happening was um, it started a touring production here in Chicago, and <laughs> I ended up seeing the show like another fourteen more times. <laughs> so. I've seen it quite a bit. You're a Xana dude. I'm a huge Xana do dude. Um, yeah, it's it, the the movie is on another level than the musical, but the musical just kind of makes fun of the film in a way that's like lovingly, but also still kind of like pokes fun. It also adds some extra songs as well, and it's just really fun. And also, I love Elizabeth Stanley. She was one of the touring casts. And also, if you saw it on Broadway, you saw Cheyenne Leg Cheyenne Jackson's thighs in the flesh literally and it is uh, so good anyways do you know the musical uh xana don't yeah with uh the guy from queer eye um i never saw it but i I listened to the the album i mean yeah i never saw it either i just i just know was it jay jay paul no jay Jay yeah yeah Yeah. he made a brief appearance in the producer's film as well in the movie version of the producers that's right he did oh my gosh that's oh that's so crazy i forgot about that also i just want to shout out rocky horror picture show just because that i also grew up on that in the whole camaraderie of the movie the revival with liver and cox not too much of a fan but nor was i the glee what did what did, why did glee do it like that did not make any sense <laughs> but other than that it's a classic movie um 
musical as well. If you've ever seen the musical live, there's a little bit more risqueness to it than the film is. Um, but I still, I still am fond of this, fond of the movie to this day. You know, like I love to address all my friends as un unconventional conventionists. <laughs> it is, yeah. I mean, it, it was of course originally the Rocky Horror Show, and then went on stage, and then it became a movie called the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Yeah. And um, Richard O'Brien, who did the music and lyrics for that, also went on to host The Crystal Maze in, on, in British television, which is... I was just about to mention that. Like I love that show. show. Yeah, it's fantastic. Did you know they made a revival of it with the guy, uh, Adam... Uh, what's his name? The guy who's from Adam Ruins Everything. Adam, I don't know, his, I don't remember his last name, but... Um, oh, Adam Hanover, I think is his name. He, yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, he he hosts a revival of it. It's really weird. It's different, but he's he's actually pretty good at it. But I still miss, I still miss like Richard and his like his like like you know fumbly arms, you know, and his fingers were just like creepy, yeah. on this way, and I, you know, kind of creepy, but borderline like you know, it's Richard O'Brien. Like if you know who he is, you're like I get it. I just get him already. Right, right, <laughs> obviously. There's so many musicals I could name. I could go on for a long time naming musicals I love. Do you do you watch the Tonys every year when it's on? You know, actually, I don't. I often miss them because it's usually around my birthday and there's something going on. Because my birthday is the beginning of June, mm -hmm. so sometimes I forget. And it's largely because I don't have like a huge network of people in my life currently that like routinely watch them. So it's hard for me to like always, always watch them because I'm like, let's do this. I'm like, all right, well, that's fine. <laughs> yeah. Um. I yeah. I just watch clips mostly. Um. YouTube always recommends me Tony Award clips. Recently, I got I fell in love with the best musical performance from I don't know what year it was out. It was a musical called They're Playing Our Song with Marvin Hamlish, who also wrote a chorus line. He wrote the music mm -hmm. and lyrics by. I have her book. What's what's her name? I can't see it from here. For, uh, Carol Carol Thayer Sager. And it's basically about their their relationship and how like their working relationship, but it stars Richard Klein, super funny guy, and Lucy Arnaz, and they perform the leads the title song where they hear the song in the in like this club where they're at where they're having a date, and and it's just so cute and very fun. Uh oh, they're playing the song. It's very seventies for sure, but it's a very it's fun. And also, there's a moment at the end where. You can like, there's some people, there's some actors on stage that you can just tell they love what they do. Lucy Arnaz is one of those people because at the end of that performance, she's like standing up and she's just like about to sob because she's just like, she gets the standing ovation for the for the performance. And she's just like, you can tell she loves being on stage. Can, can, you, do, can you describe that experience? Um, if I had ever gotten a standing ovation, I could. No, I, um, <laughs> no, you know, <laughs> No, the um, no, it's it's actually it's it's very it's very lovely because you know growing up, especially in community theater, I um, I was a lead here and there for plays, and then I was also a lot of the comic relief in musicals, which is sort of like where because I, I I have good comedic timing, I'm I'm good with comedy, even though I've always loved doing drama, but and I actually have my, uh, an award hanging up on my wall right now that's a best performance by juvenile actor, um, for my role as. Hysterium and a funny thing happened on the way to the forum, um, which was just a phenomenal experience. But it, it it it's it's also so interesting when like when you're sort of like an audience favorite because of largely because of the way the character's written and the way that like it goes like you're sort of expected to be because of you're sort of like the comic relief and all of that. But then to like when you walk out and just 
everyone gets even more hyped up and like it's 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 an addictive drug that doesn't go away uh, applause is one of the most addictive drugs you can imagine like, like praise from thousands of people doesn't ever get satisfied yeah have you <laughs> i love to <laughs> i love giving myself a laugh track so applause tracks are like my next favorite thing i can't believe i just admitted that on microphone um but <laughs> <laughs> but you know it's it, it, it's fun because like you know just getting that validation in a, in a way that's not really like rather than someone saying you know you're good like some anyone can say you know i like this i like what you're doing i like this is good but like to like be able to like have someone in the same room as you watch watch what you're doing is just so like so fun i don't know i can't even describe it it's just like it's a feeling like not We'll get to experience yeah no it's it's like an instant understanding that like there's mul there's like a multitude of people that like enjoy what's going on there's also the reverse which is you know in in college we had this one professor who would one of the one of the lead professors um would direct a show every season obviously as most theater professors did um but during certain runs like especially during um tech and then like running lines and, and then like up, up, leading up to opening night she would never take notes she would like dictate them to someone so like she's sitting in the audience and she would always sit in different spots so she can see from around the area to make sure everything looks good from everywhere else but she she wasn't also quiet about it she would dictate notes loudly to the person sitting next to her so it was sort of like doing a show while also listening to the director's commentary at the same time like while you're performing it so then you're like okay i need to make that adjustment and like you're trying to like do it at the same time and it's it was very interesting. Oh, that would be hard to do. That would throw me off. I just like give me give me the notes at the beginning of like the next rehearsal, and I'll be fine. <laughs> like then I might be like, okay. She would still give us the notes. She would just um, we could just hear them as she was dictating them. That's all. Oh my god, that that would yeah, that's really bizarre. Weird director, <laughs> but I love it. So on that note, I I am going to put you on the spot. So. This is a little bit of a loaded question and you might it might be hard to do, but I'll, I'm gonna try to do it myself. So this will be fun. So here's the question. If you were stranded on a desert island with three of your Broadway divas, who would they be? And who would you first eat when you got hungry? I, I think the bigger problem is finding three Broadway divas who could stand to be around <laughs> each other on a desert island. So like. I mean, really, Lashawn would be good because we could just reenact once on this island, right? <laughs> we could just redo the original cast of once on this island, um, which would be fun. I mean, I don't know, like my my. I always have so many questions on the like when you're on a deserted island, like how did I get there and why did I get there? I'm not the kind of person who like just goes off like, is it like Gilligan's Island where like we were just going out for a boat ride and then got stuck <laughs> somewhere, like. Okay. All right. If you really want that background, you were okay. You got stranded on this island because your cruise that you went on was a Broadway cruise with all these divas on there, and for some reason, with the magic of TV editing, they all appeared on the island with you and you alone, and the, everybody, all the other hundred thousand people that were on the ship died. So, let me ask a follow-up question: Does it need to be? people specifically from the stage or could it be people who have done singing roles on film or television who may have never necessarily been on stage on broadway uh it can you can open up to that yeah it can be anything because i would i think i would love to have donald champlain be there who was 
who was in Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. She played the best friend. Um, such a phenomenal powerhouse voice, but also seems like would make the most of the situation like I would, right? I think there's some people who would like, I think her, Annalie Asher would, would be good because I think she would be the same way to like sort of make the most of it. And then, I, I don't know, I'm, I'm thinking Sutton Foster just because who wouldn't want to be alone with Sutton Foster for for a while, you know? Oh, I didn't think of that one. Yeah. She'd be really good. She, she's very fun and down to earth. I think she would, oh, yeah. she would do a lot. Yeah. So also, I will say her her song that she sings in the Gilmore Girls reboot that was on Netflix the 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 four the four episode that song which was written by um, I just blanked on her name oh my god she did Bunheads Mrs Maisel Gilmore Girls and I can't remember her name but not not really but she like wrote the lyrics to it and it but it's such a beautiful song um, to hear anyway just a side note. That's okay. Someone will know. Dear listeners, let us know. <laughs> I just wrote mine down and I don't I don't know if I'm act- these are actually good. But okay. But I, I kinda thought Amy Sherman Paladino. Oh, that's good. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. I, I thought of uh ladies that I think would be useful on the island. <laughs> I don't I don't know if they would be or not, but so I, I put down um Jennifer Holiday, I feel like she'd be very persistent in like if we needed to have her hunt or something, I think she would, you know, she would stick through it. Like it, was, it would start, you know, think if she'd start raining, but she'd be like, you're going to get this fish. You know, she's just going to basically, you know, you know, she's going to like go fishing with a spear and, and, won't, and won't come back until she has one on her, on her, on her spear. The one, the one issue is that you're going to have to love her. Yes. And I'll have to love her, of course. But um, yeah, oh my God, I saw her live one time at a Pride and she, it was like so hot. She got overheated and someone, I okay, the sponsor was like vitamin water or something like that. I think it was like, yeah, one of those drink beverages at the time that was popular. And someone gave her one of them and she was excited because she was like hot and th- getting, you could tell the, like people, she was kind of the flop sweat a little bit, you know, a little Whitney Houston flop sweat going on. And, <laughs> and right. Cause it was an outdoor concert, you know? And, um, I remember someone gave her one of these bottles and you see her do that. She's like, <laughs> she's like, winces really hard. And she's like, Ooh, someone put some vodka in this. <laughs> someone snuck vodka in a vitamin water to Jennifer fucking holiday during a performance. Like she hadn't even done. And I am telling you yet, like she, when she said, when she realized what it was, she said on the ground, he's like, I can't do any more of this. I'm going to be on the floor. <laughs> I love her. I love her so much. Um, I put down for comedic effect. I would put down, I put down Carrie Butler. Um, Zip from Xanadu. Uh, Bat Boy. She was in Little Shop of Horrors. Horrors. Um, <laughs> uh, and I just love her. I think she'd be really fun and quirky. And also, I think she would be the, the one who would kind of like rally everyone together and be like, "All right, guys, I know we can't, we don't want to do this, but we have to do this for you know, and kind of tell us why and like get us, you know, raise camaraderie." So I thought she'd be a good like glue to the group of me and Jennifer Holiday. And my third person who I put. <laughs> I kind of just put this one down because we've been talking about her a lot. Idina Menzel. Okay. So here's the thing. Obviously she, one, she's the constant Two, I think she's, I've heard she's a really mean person in person, in person, but she like, you know, I feel like she's focused to the point where she can, um, she can get shit done, you know, 
If I say Idina Menzel make that fort, she'll make that fucking fort. I mean, well, especially with her like, if it got too hot, she could use her like, which her like powers to like cool things down too, right? I mean, there you go. Yeah, that's true. I'm she's assuming very, she has oh, like, yeah, I don't she's like, a very yeah. Oh my god, it, if it's hot out, if it's hot out on the island, she'll just uh, keep us cool with her icy demeanor. Oh. <laughs> The cold has never bothered her. So. Oh my gosh. Obviously. Oh my gosh. Love that frozen reference there. Oh my gosh. On that note, R, thank you so much for your time. You are a national treasure to the theater community. You are a scholar. You are. <laughs> um, where can people find you online, on social media, and otherwise? Across every platform, I'm at Waka Waka Richard, which is W O K A, twice, and then Richard. I would change that, but it's been it's been my name since college, and I feel like at this point it's a brand. So even though it's absolutely not, I have like <laughs> I have tens of followers. So like, <laughs> I feel the same way. We're all we we all have to start somewhere. I mean, it is what it is, you know. I am. Um, oh my gosh. And um and also something I wanted to mention, I just want to put this message out. Um, hopefully it it finds the right people. But I have this insane desire to make practical magic into a musical. But I would want to have the music and lyrics by Stevie Nicks. So um, hopefully, if if anyone out there knows, if any listeners like know Stevie Nicks or like know someone who like could make that happen, DM me Waka, at Waka Waka Richard. Let's get get us in touch with Stevie Nicks. We'll make let's make this happen. Dear listeners, if there is somebody that knows Stevie Nicks, have your people call ours people because I don't have people. Let's me. make that happen. Practical magic with a musical. Come on, like that's a no brainer. Let's do this. All right. Call to action right now. Um, yes, let's do this. <laughs> Change that Change that order. Change that That side note, do you remember uh oh they workshopped a musical version of Desperately Seeking Susan with the music of Blondie? Did you ever hear about this mashup? I did, I I absolutely did not. No, was it wait? It was a workshop. It didn't go past the workshop stop stages. So, or no, wait, was it that? Was it? Oh, whatever. Anyways, but yeah, it was a it was an interesting show. <laughs> it was an interesting idea. I don't think it just yeah didn't mesh very well. But you know those musical properties. We'll yeah. we'll, we'll we'll have some new musical with a different property and who knows practical magic in for best musical twenty maybe twenty two. Yeah, that's doable. Well, with, that's a doable with, goal, don't you think? With with concepts, writing, workshop, probably 2025, 20, 26, but yeah. I think we can make it happen. We gotta get all the uh, proper people involved, you know. Absolutely. Producers, all of that. I'm I'm working on writing my own musicals, some with a friend, some with um, myself. So hopefully maybe maybe soon I'll be at the Tony Awards myself for, for writing. So we'll see what happens. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Well, it was a pleasure talking to you about everything musicals. Like we just covered like little scratch, you know, but I will put stuff in the show notes to help you dear listeners try to learn more on your own about musicals. I'm always available via my DMs at Real Sparkle Sid. You can talk to our Marshall about this as well at Walk Walk with Richard on IG. Um, we love talking about musicals. We love singing musicals. We love everything musicals. I might go listen to some more musicals later while I do some art, you know? So on that note, thank you again for your time, Richard. Yeah. I hope you have a great rest of your day and enjoy the latest episode of Big Brother. <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you. I hope you have a wonderful evening. <laughs> and maybe we can have a musicals part two if things, if uh, you don't have content for another day. You know what? I am all for that. And dear listeners, we are going to have one all together and it's going to be amazing. 
Yes. And on that note, bye everybody. Super Funkin' Serious with Sparkle Sid is a production of Vicarious Media LLC. Starring and produced by yours truly, John Dyson. Edited and co-produced by Gabriel Schubert. For more information about today's guest or the media we mentioned in today's episode, please see the show notes in your local podcasting app or visit vicariousmedia.com slash podcast. This is Sparkle Sid signing off for another episode of Super Funkin' Serious. We hope to see you next Thursday for another fantastic episode of Cheeky Chat. Also, don't forget to be your funking best, and I'll see you next time. Goodbye, beautiful darlings and gal pals. Mwah!